0: Hey, everybody. Hello. Welcome. welcome. Oh. at the same time. We're really getting the hang of this. Oh, it's That's only right. taken us a year? <laughs> yeah, yeah, about a year. About a year. It's about my flow. That's yeah. That's where I kind of get in the groove. Same. Give me a good year at something. <laughs> Even then, I'm like, maybe not. Yeah. Um, welcome to Boss Pitch Podcast. I'm Lindsay Harbert Silberman. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And today we are joined by Elena Dorfman, who is a fine art photographer. Um, we know each other because we're kind of family. And uh, she is the niece of my husband's uncle. Correct. So you are my husband's second cousin. Correct. So we are like cousin adjacent. Cousin adjacent. Exactly. We've known each other long enough now that it's like we're familial. We're familial. Yeah. Quite
1: as familial as we'll get. Exactly. Familial. We're getting there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So Elena. Basic. let's start by, you know, tell us about your life. Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like?
1: Well, I grew up north of Boston in a pretty small s- s- town on the ocean called Marblehead, Mass. Mm. Um, and I spent 18 years there. I went to public and private high school, so day school and boarding school. Oh, wow. And then I moved to New York to go to Sarah Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, is that too? Is, it, um, is that too quick? I moved oh, to North Carolina. Oh no, to to no. So whatever Lawrence. you feel. I was going to gonna say
0: though, Sarah Lawrence. I feel like is every liberal young woman's <laughs> dream college. Yeah, absolutely. Is that is that founded? Was it a
1: dream to be there? You know, Sarah Lawrence was really interesting. Like I knew I was at the right place when we. I'll really never forget driving up. So we drove up. My father was taking me. You know to look at colleges and mm-hmm. and. uh, we drove up and there were um, girls with shaved heads and men in dresses, and I yeah. really instantly thought, like, "Oh, this is my place. This I is pa- it. I found it. <laughs> I'm comfortable here." So, yeah, it was it was it was a really good place for me. It was it's a difficult place because it's not a very it's you have to be a very independent thinker and worker, mm-hmm. or it's not it doesn't coddle you in any way. Um, but I loved it, and I loved its proximity to New York mm-hmm. and. Yeah, it was it was a great place for me. I was I was after the first year. I think everybody's always crying their first year, and then and then it was great. I really enjoyed it. That's great. Mm, yeah. And what did you major in when you went there? Well, Sarah Lawrence doesn't have majors. Oh, of course, even but, better. <laughs> yeah. um, we have sort of year long study, and I did um, photography, literature, German, and a lot of writing. It's very heavy on the writing, which is really helpful. So mm-hmm. it's a very well rounded liberal arts education. And my emphasis was on photography. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Awesome. So yeah. when you were going to high school, did you know that photography was your kind of your thing? I did. I've actually never really done anything else or wow. envisioned doing anything else. Yeah. So my father was very instrumental. You know, he handed me a camera when I was, I don't know, nine or ten, an old Roloflex that you sort of look down the box camera mm-hmm. that has 120 film. And I just took to it. And we had a dark room at home, so I... I worked in the darkroom a lot and yeah, I've never really done everything I've done within the world of photography. My life has been very varied, but it's all been behind the camera. So everything's been driven by and from the camera and Mm -hmm. kind of telling stories through the camera. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, I've never done anything else.
0: That's so great. Um, I feel like especially now as like in at least my generation, um, which You're the same, right? We're both millennials. We're taught to be scattered. Older millennial. (laughs) I'm an older millennial too, but we're taught to have so many.
2: You have to do
0: everything that I feel like it's so much to me. Once I've pared down and said this is my focus and this is what I want to do, um, I feel like it's I feel so much better about it. Although, because you have such a writing background, when I was looking at your website recently, everything's written so beautifully. Mm -hmm. Oh, thanks. Yeah,
1: agree. It's important. I mean, I can't stress it enough. It's really important. And I do have, um, you know, I've had quite a number of students come through and work for and with me on projects over the years. And I really try to stress writing. And I I think it's getting, um, it seems to be becoming less and less important in Mm -hmm. the education Mm -hmm. realm, at least, maybe at least from art schools. And I think that's why specifically I'm happy I didn't go to an art school only, that I went to a liberal arts college with a very rigorous reading and writing curriculum, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was pretty much what you did. Um, And maybe art schools are too focused just on art, but I I can't stress enough how important it is to know how to write and speak about your work or else you don't don't get anywhere. Yeah. So,
0: So, okay, you you were in Sarah Lawrence, um, finished there what, what you have this degree, you always focus on yeah. photography. What happened oh next? Good. Where did you go?
1: Well, what happened next was I had kind of an unusual late teen um, experience, which is that Uh, not to get too heavy, but I was diagnosed with cancer when I was 16. Oh, my God. God. So from 16 to 18, I went through very rigorous chemotherapy treatment, so for Mm. quite an extended period of time. And that kind of um, influenced the rest of my life, certainly what I did based on how how my work was shaped. So I only referenced that. There would be no need for me to reference that other than the first project I did, starting at Sarah Lawrence, which resulted in a published book, was a book – Going back into the young adult cancer world to wow. show kind of what uh, to photograph and and record the stories of what other young adults were going through because mm-hmm. there was nothing like that. It was just such a difficult point in time, with no I had nothing to look at, very few other kids to talk to. Yeah, it's very isolating. You're mm-hmm. totally removed from your world. So I wanted to make something that would help other families and teenagers who are going through it and. That, I started that at Sarah Lawrence, and um, that also inspired uh, um, my move to, from East Coast to West Coast. So mm-hmm. I, I left New York, and I came to California, first to San Francisco, because there were a group of people I wanted to continue working with, young adults and their families on the mm-hmm. West Coast. Mm-hmm. And really, I, I never left. But the book was the inspiration for moving across the country. Oh, wow. You know? And then at um, 26, the book was published. And Um, It got a lot of attention because nothing had ever been done like that before. Mm -hmm. And um, keep in mind, this is 20 years ago. And I went on a speaking tour all over the country because doctors and caregivers wanted to know how to treat young adults. Wow. So I became a little bit of the poster child Mm -hmm. who had survived and then gone on to do something with it. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of how I really began a professional career as a photographer Mm -hmm. because the book was published, um, though I started as a kind of more as a photo documentarian, photojournalist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that led to work in newspapers. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. So I started at the San Francisco Chronicle um, and spent many years there working as a freelancer, but sent on assignment all over. And then that led to a career in magazines. So mm-hmm. I decided that I didn't necessarily want to uh, work in newspapers anymore. I didn't want to be a documentary photographer who just um shot what was in front of me I wanted to have more control over the image right yeah. cuz as a
0: documentary photographer you really can't shit you can't have a biased lens at all right you just have to kind of shoot what's happening to tell that story
1: you're an observer right and you're trying to be a non-judgmental usually yeah. observer unless of course you have a, a point of view you're trying to get across or a story you're trying to tell specifically but in my case, I that wasn't – if if I'm hired to work for newspapers, you go and just record the story or mm-hmm. the scene. And that was great experience, but I, I wanted to just have more control. So I started putting a portfolio together and then eventually began to work for magazines. Cool. And that's mm-hmm. what I did for many, many years all over the world, worked for magazines.
0: And when you say worked for magazines, what exactly were you shooting then?
1: Was it more fashion or – I'd say it was more por- – you know, within the world of photography, again, there are so many routes you can go, and some of them don't correspond to the other at all. Mm-hmm. so um I would say not fashion, but portraiture, mm-hmm. so right. always generally um, I'm sent on assignment to photograph someone doing mm-hmm. something or to represent a certain scene or story. oh, that's okay. cool, yeah, what so are some
2: favorite. Uh, assignments that you took in those years?
1: Well, I worked for The New Yorker for mm. many years, and I loved a lot of what I did for them because um, they were just very challenging. The bar was extremely high. You had to really deliver. Um, and I shot a lot of incredibly interesting artists and mostly people in the art world mm-hmm. um, who were musicians, um, painters, Photographers, um, gallery owners, um, a variety of people in the creative world. So on assignment, you're basically called. Can you go do this story? Excuse me. Can you go photograph this person to accompany this story? Mm-hmm. Um, and you, uh, you're because I'm not next to an art director. They're across the country. I'm mm-hmm. here. Um, I take my assistant and go and create different stories and different um scenes to then send back to the to the um photography editor. But I worked for lots of people, internationally, you know, L, Marie Claire, here Time, Newsweek, W, Vogue, everybody for about 20 years. Wow. Yeah, yeah. A lot of variety.
0: Very cool. Yeah,
1: it was really fun. I enjoyed it a lot. Mm-hmm. But simultaneously, I my art career was born from um a story that was a magazine assignment, so for a couple of years in the beginning, I was had these dual this dual life where I was an editorial photographer, and also I had work in galleries and museums and exhibition exhibitions. Um, I did that for several years, and the first body of work was derived right from a magazine piece so mm-hmm. um, I worked for the French Marie Claire for about a, i don't know ten or twelve years. Um, going on assignment with a particular writer who Mm -hmm, became mm -hmm. a real mentor of mine. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And she was really somebody who, who continues to be somebody I, I, I look up to and admire, and we did great stories together. Mm -hmm. And one of them was, um, we were, we were asked to do, excuse me, we weren't asked, she found a photograph of a, of a, of a Silicone doll hanging in a factory. This was in 1998. I'm so excited to talk yeah. about this. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. this who is isn't? Right? Incredible. <laughs> so she said, wrote to me from Paris and said, Can you find somebody who lives with this doll? If you can, we can do a story on this whatever this thing is we didn't even know what it was called then the internet was kind of really this was 98 Mm -hmm. people had email but it wasn't sort of we weren't where we are today you weren't like surfing Mm -hmm. the web necessarily it was pretty limited Mm -hmm. and so um at the time i lived in san francisco where i lived for many years about 18 years when i moved to the west coast from the east coast i moved to san francisco and that's where i stayed until 2009 um So we – I literally walked the streets of San Francisco in every sex shop, leather shop, um, strip club, you name it, asking people really like, do you know anyone who lives with a sex doll? I had absolutely (laughs) no idea how to do this. And finally, it was about 11 o'clock in the morning – the guy who ran, what unfortunately, what is now gone, the Lusty Lady, which was an all-union female-run strip club oh, in North amazing. Beach. It was pretty great. The Lusty Lady was there forever, and now it is no longer. But I went in, and I said to the guy at the front desk, do you know anybody who might live with this doll? And he said, actually, if you go to this tattoo shop on Haight Street and look on the third row, second book in, I found a book the other day that had a website for somebody who owned a doll. And I said, okay, that's great. So I went back and wrote this person and really within two minutes, you know, the company didn't, the Real Doll company didn't even have a a PR department yet. They were just starting. They were barely rolling. And they're the first, the first company to do this, right? They weren't the first. They were the, um, in in the United States, they were the, yes, in the United States, he was the first, Matt Matt McMullen, who, who owns Real Doll and created it. So they didn't have what they have today. You couldn't call up and speak to somebody. It was like really not – it was very difficult to find your way in. And in fact, we didn't want to go to the factory. We wanted to find people mm-hmm. who lived with the dolls, not, not from the factory's perspective. Mm-hmm. So that ultimately led to – Elizabeth flew over from Paris. We got on a plane and we went to um, Missouri to photograph our first couple. And and that couple was the really responsible for the rest of the series because – On the way there, I thought, how am I going to shoot a guy having sex with a doll for a major magazine? How am I going to – how's this going to go? How am I going to do this? You know, I was really –
0: what's my approach going to be?
1: And then we got there and he picked us up and he said, well, you know, we don't really have sex with the dolls. They're kind of our friends. And I thought, oh, that's – that's interesting. That's no, even like, Here we go. more wild <laughs> yeah. than I thought. Yeah, it was nothing that I had anticipated. So had I gone to some guy who just simply had sex with his doll because she was there, mm-hmm. it would I wouldn't have probably taken it further. But mm-hmm. because yeah. they were so, so rich that... They were so interesting yeah. and they were not what I had expected. And we had such a great time with them. Mm-hmm. Actually, we had a really fun, interesting weekend that was very eye-opening. This was in 1999. Mm-hmm. You know? And then in 2000, the story was published in France and it in Marie Claire, and it was pretty explosive. And then I thought, you know, I really want to go and do more. I want to continue. So I went off on my own and mm-hmm. spent the next four years wow. photographing men around the country mm-hmm. um, and in France and England who, who lived with dolls as their domestic partners. Yeah. So on that first trip to Missouri, what did you do? What activities did you do with the couple? Well, they... It was incredibly interesting because they really told us kind of what their impetus was and and Uh that it was driven by – so it was a couple named Jerry and Carol. It was driven by Carol's desire to have the dolls, not his. Interesting. Uh Yeah, so it was was female-driven. Wow. And it was because she kind of viewed the dolls as extensions of her own personality. Wow. And – they were her friends, or one was kind of her lover, one was her good friend, one played another role. you know it's all role playing basically mm-hmm, it's it's, it's they're alter egos. you put whatever you kind of want onto them, yeah. and then they become that. so we spent the weekend um learning about who each doll was, you know interviewing and talking to the, each of them, she and jerry um you know, they had children also living in the house who were not there when we were there that first weekend. Later they were there when I went back. But, you know, we looked at the, they built kind of special, like, get smart closets where you punched (laughs) a little hole in the ceiling and a door popped open that you thought was the bookshelf. And then inside there were three dolls ready and waiting. And we dressed them up. We played Uh games. We, you know, what then became my mode of operation when I would go to visit people, ultimately men, who lived with dolls, Mm -hmm. um, is that I would say, look, I'm here for the weekend. You've let me in. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of people let me in. You've let me in. What do you want to show me? What do your lives look like when I'm not here? What do you do? So it was very collaborative because, first of all, I I couldn't pick up a doll myself. They're too heavy. Yeah, they seem very... Seems like pretty solid yeah. 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 Like, yeah yeah they are i mean they now run at the time they were kind of one weight one size one face mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now they've evolved there are many varieties of weights mm-hmm. of faces you can interchange and take on and off that did not happen in the beginning i mean oh if you get a doll you can remove the face and put on a different one if you so choose correct oh wow correct Man. Now they're ve- they're bespoke. I mm-hmm. mean, really what it started, what, what we started with, which was kind of very like almost, they were beautiful, but I hesitate to say Frankenstein-like because they weren't. They were much better than that. But if you look at the way they've evolved in mm-hmm. the last 15 years, 17, 18 years, they're like, you know, sort of a gremlin to a Lamborghini. Right. Yeah. So it's really changed a lot. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, yeah, that just continued to be an incredibly fascinating topic to mine and to get to know the people who lived with dolls as their domestic partners and who loved them. Mm-hmm. It was mu- very much about the domestic scenes.
0: Wow. And when, so these these men have their these dolls as their domestic partners. Are they living openly in that way? Did their families know about it? Did their friends
1: know that they had? Pretty- or- Pretty much with the exception of one person, Mm -hmm. it was an absolute deeply hidden secret. Very, very shameful and very um, just darkly hidden. Mm -hmm. Most people, I would say, you know, there were many of us during the photo shoots. It was me, the men... Or the men and their wives, mm-hmm. the dolls, and the neighbors. And the neighbors yeah. played an enormous part in every trip I took. Really? Wow. Yeah, like keeping the neighbors out, like wow. not having the neighbors know anything that was going on. Because, you know, none of the places I visited were in, the, were in any city. They were in the most card-carrying, Republican, flag-waving oh. suburbs you could possibly imagine even for the, the most part. Yeah, so even
2: like the skewed conservative when he went to Europe? Extreme. Wow. No,
1: no, Okay. no. Europe was not conservative. So outside of London and then Marseille, France, no. They were both, although deeply, deeply silenced. um, Everard, who's the cover of the book, Still Mm -hmm. Lovers, um, you know, very, very – at the time I met him, he was living with his brother in the same house, separate apartments, but in the same house. Mm -hmm. And his brother didn't even know that he had a doll. I mean, at one point, we were kind of locked in a room together for about an hour in total silence because his brother was using the bathroom or outside the door. It was, it was at the time. So it was kind of a dichotomy because the men very much wanted people to know their lives. Mm -hmm. So they let me in. Yeah. And also I had then, the word was that I was Trustworthy, you could trust me to come in and be accepting and not judgmental. Right. And, you know I would just I was just there to view and to document, and everyone knew from second one that the pictures would be used for exhibition in a book, and mm-hmm. everybody you know was okay with that, and that they would get a lot of attention, which ultimately they did. Um, but it still was very shameful, you know, so they would say, we want people to know that we're not freaks or crazy or whatever, but mm-hmm. we're afraid. Yeah, yeah definitely yeah.
0: It's a big step to take, yeah 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 so Absolutely.
1: so you worked on it for four years, you said and ultimately five or six years until it was published as a book and began exhibiting, okay, yeah,
0: and at what point did you feel that it was it was time? it was mm. time to stop documenting,
1: and now it's time to put the project together and release it to the world. When I began to be bored by what, for any other accounts, would be extraordinary, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. for someone else to see, it was like I've seen this. I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm repeating things here. Yeah, and s- yeah, and then when I thought I, I really, it's not exciting me the way it did. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. never became dull. It was always truly fascinating. It continues to be a fascinating. It has very much a life of its own. That body of work was the first that I released as a fine art project and Mm. the first book I published. Mm -hmm. But it really still lives. Even this fall, I'll be showing it at the new Prada Foundation. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, photography. I mean, the photographs uh, are so beautiful and intimate. And the dolls have so much dignity in them, too. They're shot with so much dignity. I mean, I loved them. And I loved, them for the most part, I loved really all the men and still very... Connected to most of them. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had a very good relationship. It was I, – I totally understood where they were coming from. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what did you learn about humanity
2: through doing this project? Because it is such an – what we perceive of to be such an alternative lifestyle.
1: Well, it won't be for long.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, here we very go. Very true. <laughs> right? And so um, – yeah, it won't be for long. Uh, what did I learn? I can't say I learned one thing. I mean, ultimately, and also, again, it was, you know, sort of 15 years ago that I was involved yeah. in a day-to-day. But, um, you know, I was very happy that the men had their dolls. Like, mm-hmm. you're better off with a doll for, mm-hmm. in general. If you don't – I thought she was a great substitute. I, right. I think – and again, I really want to stress – I only photographed men who loved their dolls. I did not photograph men who abused their dolls. Mm-hmm. In fact, I did. And it made me very aware of well. the fact that I wasn't with those people 99.9% of the time. I was only with people who loved their dolls and treated them with great respect. So um, I can't speak for, you know, what else happens out there. We know it happens. I've seen mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. these were people who loved dolls as they would have loved a woman had there been yeah. a real woman in their life.
0: Yeah. Uh yeah. It is interesting that you say that it's it's not it's not going to be a small subsect of society for long cuz I feel like this year, I mean literally this year in the past month that this year's been this year, I've heard so many stories about real dolls, silicone, you know, female replacements and because uh what was the name of the android? That spoke at that conference a couple months ago. Yes, I oh, know wait. her name. Uh, like Cla- not, I want to say like Cla- Claudia or cl- Claudette or some something like, like that. Celia. I don't. Ever think. since yeah. she came to be, everyone's just bracing themselves for the the time that men are going to be buying uh, potentially, men and women, potentially android lovers. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's already really, I mean, I, th- I think you start noticing it a few years ago in popular culture in films like mm-hmm. Her. Mm-hmm. Like Lars and the Real Girl. Lars and the Real Girl was based on Still Lovers. So oh, really? Oh, yeah. Wow, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, he took the he took the idea of the book. The book was out five years before Lars and the Real yeah. Girl came out. Um. Um, and Everard is the – on the cover of the book is the Ryan Gosling character. Wow! Um, but, you know, I think what's happening now is that – so you're seeing it in films. You're seeing it in Westworld. Mm-hmm. I mean it's, it's, it's right in front of you in Westworld. Also if you look at the – you know, the porn industry is often the first to kind of move on what's happening. And it's already – you know, they've already really – gone quite far in making automated, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a very funny term called teledildonics now, which is really about, yes, you can can have sexual objects move from not being in the same room, country, or, you know, you can manipulate your partner or be with your partner sexually uh, either through an Oculus Rift, some kind of glass software, Mm -hmm. um, and, and a mechanism that allows you to manipulate like a dildo or mm-hmm, whatever you yeah. want for your partner and she the same for her with another kind of device for a man so it's very much happening it's not necessarily in the mainstream right. yet mm-hmm. but i mean it, it's not that far they they've come really really far yeah that's so fascinating Is is we're it's, in the
0: future i know currently yeah
2: <laughs> yeah so then after this project uh What did you, did you take a break? Like, it it felt so intense. Like, it seems like such an intense experience. Uh, What happened next?
1: You know, after I was, it was hard to figure out, not figure out what to do next, but I thought, you know, it was very intense and it took a lot of my interest. It was really incredibly um, stimulating. So, but then I learned about the world of cosplay, costume play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that felt like a natural you know when you're when you do this for a living and you have to direct and drive your own career, yeah, what you have to rely on is your instinct, especially if you're a visual or creative person. it's your instinct what where are you drawn? what avenue do you want to go down? What do you think? because projects take a really, really long time to pursue and finish and make happen, and they take a lot of money mm-hmm. and you have to really like the project to see it through the years that it takes to get it done so I really liked the world of cosplay. Somebody had told me um, I didn't even know what it was. When I heard the word, I looked it up. At the time, again, I lived in San Francisco. I saw that there was a convention coming pretty soon, a cosplay convention to to a hotel in San Francisco. So I went, and I thought, yeah, this is absolutely my world. People were, you know, real shapeshifters. They were really – it was very similar to the doll world in that um, – they actually share quite a lot of, of, of similarities. So mm-hmm. like a connection to Japan, a, co- a connection to technology. Both the doll and the cosplay world photograph each other incessantly mm-hmm. and share the pictures online. There, was a, there were a lot of similarities that weren't. Yeah. And also both of them lived through an alter ego. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting to me. So yeah. work that has a psychological component is always what I'm drawn to. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, then for the next two years photographed Went to different conventions, about six conventions throughout California, and brought and put up a big studio on the convention floor. And it was very different in that I didn't get to know the people as I had with the dolls. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were very good friends. Mm -hmm. This was much quicker. It was much more instinctual. Like, Mm -hmm. who do I see? Who do I want to come in? And then... How to photograph with them within a kind of a black box? It wasn't an environmental right. situation. Like I wasn't in their environment. I brought them. I created a black box and brought them in to um, kind of have a mix of still seeing who they were in their costume and who they were as people. I really didn't want them doing all their. I don't know if you've ever been to a cosplay convention.
0: I've only seen, I've never been to Comic-Con. I've only, I've seen many people document
1: it. So I've only watched videos of what it's like, which I'm sure is nothing in comparison to what it's actually like. Yeah. They're pretty nutty because there are sometimes, you know, 50, 60, 100,000 people around you with just noise coming from absolutely everywhere. They're so chaotic. Yeah. Yeah. and I, I didn't really want all the posing. You know, they really posed for each other in their characters' poses. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't – I thought there was already enough of that. I was mm-hmm. trying to get something different. So mm-hmm. I did – that was the next body of work and Aperture published that as a book in 2007. And then that exhibited and, you know, had a life of its own. Yeah. And then you kind of go on from there. You, I then went on to uh, – I wanted to do something that was less – I actually wanted to work with animals. So I did a, a – was commissioned to do a body of work in um, ideally in Kentucky. In the end, it I shot it again up north in San Francisco because oh, I could really? get it done more quickly. Mm-hmm. And I did it um, based on the early movement of sort of Edward Muybridge's motion studies and his the photographs yeah. Edward mm-hmm. Muybridge motion studies. And I did them on um, racehorses and Those jockeys. Those photos are so beautiful. Yeah, they are. Oh, thank, very very you. thank you. Very haunting. Yeah. And it was it was to look at the the culture of, of horse racing and yeah. the connection between man and animal. Mm-hmm. Oh man, there's a lot there too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so That's many cool.
2: relationship, like you said, uh, psychological connections and things. Um, but it's so and it's so wonderful that you get to explore that, and you're so good at it too. Thank
1: you. Um, yeah, to be yeah to be able to pursue all of these things. Well, it takes a lot of work <laughs> and a lot of tenacity. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. on
0: on that side of it. So for someone that would want to kind of, um, tr- have a, have a sustainable career the way that you have for the past several years, um, how have you been able to sustain? And obviously it takes a lot of hard work, yeah. but are you also applying for grants? Um, you know, that kind of thing. What's the
1: business side of, yeah, business side is so important. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. really 50%, if not more, um, I regret to say I didn't start to, didn't start applying for grants until recently, probably the last year or two. Oh, really? Yeah, I just shied away from the enormous amount of work that it took and mm-hmm. um the competition and the lack of funds in the country. So, I um often went the private route, route, so I you know, it takes time to build up collectors and to build up a fan base basically, yeah. mm-hmm. a collector base and people who will support your work. And so over time I have built that up and I'm now um, on occasion, not every project certainly, able to go to collectors to say, you know, would you fund a, a portion of this or all of this or could we work on something together? In fact, I'm working on a project now that I've asked two very strong, very solid, and very wonderful separate collectors to um, to help me with. And mm-hmm. they have. And um, But often I put my own money into it. Mm-hmm. So I make money from selling prints, exhibitions, lecturing, teaching. Um Basically that, yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. when I worked commercially, I that money funded the fine art money. Mm -hmm. I would not do it again this way. Mm -hmm. I would, I would not advise other people to do it. Um, Or what I would say is, you always must put your own money away and not put all of your money into projects. I cannot stress it enough that your money has to be working for you as well as with you. And so, if you make money on an exhibition, take. As much as you possibly can and invest it. Start making it work for you early, early. That's so smart. Do not yeah. put it all back into your work, which may or may not sell. The art world is incredibly fickle. And mm-hmm. you have you have years that you make a very substantial sum of money and other years where you may not. Yeah. yeah. And so you have to put money away, but you really need to start, especially for young women who are not taught, um, how to really be financially independent mm-hmm. or to have the tools financially. I can't – I really learned this late and I wish I had learned it earlier when I – when I, you know, when it, when it could have worked for me more.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So I say put your money away, take an investing course, um, get as much help as you possibly can, and it always requires you putting your own money in, always, especially when you're starting out. But grants are incredibly important because then your peers – and curators and people in the world who have the ability to place you in shows um, and elevate you can see your work. Even if you don't get the grant, they've still mm-hmm. seen your work. And it's still, you You, you basically need champions. And mm-hmm. that's what I would say almost more than anything. You need champions and as many of them as you can acquire because they will help you move from one state or stage to the next. And mm-hmm. that's really crucial. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I worked for many years as a, again, as a magazine photographer. Um, and what I would say there is, especially for young women, is know your stuff technically because you're, you've already got such a bias against you that you cannot do the work technically. Mm-hmm. That men get the more complicated and complex projects that generally pay more. Yeah. And if you know your work and can prove yourself technically, how to light, how to just, just technically it's a technical profession definitely com- you you have to know it so i would say um really get the technical elements under your belt so you don't you don't so you can get the jobs that pay the same amount of money that men are making yeah basically yeah. so would you say
0: uh i'm so happy you mentioned that because my next question was what is it like is to be a woman in your space yeah. like um Would you say that's the biggest struggle, that women aren't taken as seriously technically? Or is there another hidden crapshoot for women to fall through inside of your field? Because I certainly think, especially in creative fields, even though when women are brought up as girls, we're taught to be the the kind of not-so-sciencey, mathy-brain type of things – but still, once we get to a creative field, I feel like men are still bumped up before yeah, us. We get fucked, a little we get of fucked up. We get fucked up. What are some of those nuances that people might not know about inside of, I don't know, the fine art and magazine
1: and yeah. Yeah. commercial world? Everything exactly. You've experienced. Well, I, I I'm going to try to say this where I don't sound like I'm complaining or or coming at it from a position of um, weakness, but. There's no question that women have to work twice as hard mm-hmm. to get to the same place as men do, especially in this field. Not especially, in this field as well. Yeah. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. exempt. So what I noticed when I was working commercially is that you have to know technically and that there's this just unspoken bias that women can't necessarily pull off technical jobs. Mm-hmm. And again, the technical jobs are generally the ones that pay much more. They generally mm-hmm. fall into the advertising world. Ah, Um, You have to make sure you have somebody strong fighting for you, an agent or a rep, somebody who's going to um, find out what the men who are also up for the jobs are making Mm -hmm. and what the women are making. Um, You know, it doesn't really differ from any other profession. Um, There's just inherently a bias that as I look back now as a mid-career artist, as I look back, I can say, you know, I've absolutely struggled against it for my whole career. Mm -hmm. In the art world, you, um, you get paid less, your work sells for less. So, you know, if your work is just as good as a guy who's making a hundred thousand dollars for a photograph or Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 50,000, and you're lucky if you can get 25,000.
0: When did you become aware of it?
1: Um, I became aware of it when, um, I really became aware of it when, uh, very well-respected art advisor who's a good friend um, and somebody I've collaborated with said to me, you know, as I advise my clients who to buy, I say, Elena is just like dot, 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 mentioning a a, a major male figure in the photography world, and the Mm -hmm. fine art world, only she's cheaper. (sighs) So invest. And he told me that so I could know. Mm -hmm. And that's when I really thought, holy shit, that yeah. sucks. Wow. And so, you know, I'm not saying it just, it, you have so many building blocks, you need good representation, you need solid collectors, you need, you know, champions, as I can really mm-hmm. can't stress enough, you just need to find champions who will help open your worlds up to people, your world up to people who can buy your work, help you advance to the next stage, exhibit your work publish your work, you know, all of these things that make for a career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you have to fight to have your work um, be valued, you know, and, and it's it's something I'm still working out. But yeah, man. Yeah. it's you, you'll definitely, you know, women in, in, encounter it all the time. Yeah. yeah.
2: Have you felt bias when you're working with the people you're uh, photographing or any of your subjects?
1: Ever? Well, I can say that what happened constantly when mm-hmm. I was doing magazine work is that I had, you know, a team of people who worked with me, assistants and technical people who came with me on the job. You need extra people to be on the job. There's a job for everyone there. I'd say eight times out of ten, the subject would walk up to my assistant, who was a man, and shake his hand and say, it's nice to meet you, and he would say, actually, I'm the assistant, Mm -hmm. not the photographer. She's the photographer. So that happened a lot. In the fine art world, not not as much. Yeah. Not as much because my work, if it's being exhibited, it's, it's on the walls. Are. They know who I am and right. it's, it's a different story. But I do wish the work, we could raise the price of the work. And there are other ways you can do that, not just by, um, you know, f- for example, I, I have done a lot of landscape in the past. I kind of transitioned into landscape work in about mm, 2009. And have published a couple of books on in land in landscape space, landscape world. And now I've moved into making tapestries. So I'm collaborating with a wonderful um studio in in Oakland, California, called Magnolia. And we've turned some of my landscapes into digital weave files. So oh, now they're cool. being woven as tapestries. And oh, so they're, how cool yeah, is that? Yeah. They're big, beautiful objects that that are, you know, eight foot tall and that brings your work into a different realm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's um, yeah. Do I encounter it? I do. Do I struggle with how to move around the issue of, um, uh, of, of being a woman in kind of a man's world? I do. And mm-hmm. I think I've always been very masculine and very aggressive and moved as quickly forward as I possibly can. Um, so I'm still learning as I'm going along. Mm-hmm. but I'm trying yeah. to, you know, trying not to be angry. Yeah. About it, yeah. Or maybe now is the time to be angry about it because there is an opening. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah that's that's a uh, that's very true. And I feel like even with the opening happening, I find in everyday life, whenever the anger does bubble up or the aggression or anything, I still have that voice in the back of my head thinking, "Well, they may not like you as mm-hmm. much if you're too mm-hmm. outspoken about it or whatever." Um, but it, I feel like we're still it, this, you know, the Me Too and The women's movement that's happening currently is still new. You know, Um, obviously we've had movements in the past that have been fighting the same fight for years, but at least right now it's on the forefront Mm -hmm. and hopefully it'll last a while and we'll be able to be angry for a little bit. And, you know, it's changing.
2: I hope so. I feel like things are changing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um.
2: And
1: people care more and people are more aware, men and women. Of Certainly people are things. more aware yeah. Yeah, of the systemic problems. Mm-hmm. I don't know how – I can only speak for the art world. And I haven't heard a lot changing there. Women are still very underrepresented in museums. They get yeah next to no shows globally. I mean this is a huge, process, mm-hmm. a huge um, issue globally. Women in gallery – you know, they're just – their work sells for less. I haven't – Seen the Me Too movement so much move into the art world? Yeah, maybe because oh, it's such a, a tiny change. world.
2: I feel like the Guerrilla Girls and things were doing
1: like you know making a big deal about it in the '90s, mm-hmm. and nothing much <laughs> has changed since then. Well, even uh, in the '70s, women yeah. were 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 speaking about it, you know, and it's still it's still shifting. It's a slow evolution, apparently, <laughs> right? Oh. <laughs> it's taken some time. Yeah, Just yep. snail's pace. Yes. Yeah, the snailiest of snail's paces. Is- Um,
0: Well, on that note, Mm -hmm. uh, we do always ask our guests, um, Mm -hmm. and I think you've touched on it a bit, but uh, for young women coming up just in the world, the art world and, you know, the world that we're in currently, um, what's a word of advice you would give them and, you know, keeping a good sane-ish head on their shoulders and navigating it?
1: I mean, I think if a young woman is interested in a creative life, in a creative career, you know, it's really important to know who you are and how you work. And sometimes that takes a long time to figure out. You only figure it out through experience and through the, you know, years passing. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really important to know Do you mind working alone a lot or do you need to be around more people? Mm -hmm. Do you mind um, your income fluctuating wildly Mm -hmm, or can mm -hmm. you, you know, do you need a more stable environment? I mean, there are certain really basic questions I think should be asked. Is your work just compelling you? Can you not do anything but your work? If that's the case, do your work. Live a creative life. That's absolutely what you should be doing if you're driven to do that, but make sure that you... um, You know, again, acquire champions, get your – speak to people, find other women, look them up, Mm -hmm. talk to them. You know, I mean, that – having mentors myself, I can't – I can't overstate the value of having a good mentor or mentors throughout your career, especially when you're young. Um, You know, try different elements. Push yourself creatively, technically – Um, Put yourself out in the world. You know, my life has always been packing bags and going somewhere else to to view what was going on and to to bring it back and tell stories. Find out what your, um, you know, what is your drive? Where are you most comfortable being for long periods of time? Mm -hmm. And then again, I, I again, can't stress enough how having good financial literacy is is really important just to know what you're going to do with your life and not expect it will happen later because – Women with the, you know, the, you'll have the most advantage starting earlier, mm-hmm, putting yeah. your money away and letting it start to grow earlier because it is a profession with great ups and downs financially. And you just have to be able to, can you, can you weather that? That's a question I, I always ask people. Can, do you have the personality that can stick with this? Absolutely. And also because it takes a lot of years, you know, you have to be persistent and, you you know, sometimes I just say I just have blinders on. I just work with blinders on. I, there's no alternative, so I just mm-hmm. have to go forward. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. And
1: have a good team around you, a really good support system, whether you need – a therapist, an acupuncturist, a running coach, a life Check. coach, all of the above. All yeah. of the above. <laughs> like it does cost a lot of money, so maybe you can read books or listen to podcasts right. or whatever. But
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a plug for us, you guys. Exactly. <laughs> listen to podcasts.
1: Um, you know, there are a lot of new tools to use now mm-hmm. that don't have to cost a ton of money. But it, it, you know, keep your team close by. That's really helpful. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, wonderful. All thank great you. advice. Things that I feel like I needed here,
0: too. I so know. thank you. I'm ready to
2: go- – let's get out of here. Yeah. Let's take
0: over. <laughs> Good. I hope so. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> this has been great. I know. Thank you so much for talking to us. It was mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, uh, thanks for
1: inviting me. Of course. Yeah. Um, anything you want to plug before – what do I want to plug? I actually have no upcoming shows here in LA. Um but I have what do I have coming up? Um I have show new landscape shows. I have great work on my website which is yeah. my name, Elena Dorfman. Um uh you can see the tapestries there. You can see in fact I did a a later follow-up, a 15 year later follow-up to the to the dolls but in a very different manner. I worked with light boxes and the new dolls. It's called The Origin of the New World. That's oh, on my website as awesome. well has nothing to do with men. It just has to do with the current state of dolls and doll technology Um, and new landscape. So that's what I have going on. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Elena. This has been great. Thank you.